It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. Father, we belong to Jesus Christ. We are adopted uh, by faith in and through his shed blood. Lord, we have become yours. Uh, we are owned and operated. Uh, we are bond servants of the living God with pure steer, saying what you desire of us, we desire to obey and to agree with and to say yes to. Lord, we just freshly consecrate our lives to you and just ask that you would fill us full of your Holy Spirit today, that we would operate by your grace, your power, and not in our own strength and ability, that it would be your love coursing through us and not our own man-made variety. Lord Jesus, we just pray that you would make a name for yourself in this generation, that you would change the course of nations as your people humble themselves and pray and seek your face. Lord, we love you and we submit to you. It's in the precious name we pray, amen. Well, good morning uh, to all of you. All right, so I have uh, started a new series. It's sort of fun starting a, a new series, especially one that's probably going to be a little longer, and this is called Heroic Tales. It sounds a little like uh, something that, I don't know, I keep thinking of DuckTales uh, every time I say it, but this is a lot more noble name than DuckTales. But uh, Heroic Tales, these are going to be st- uh, pictures of God's grace at work throughout uh, biblical history and showing just some of the different characters of biblical history and how they lived and how that applies to us today. So it's not just a good story time. It's actually the application to us of how we live these same qualities out today. So this one's called Shipwrecked, uh, and uh, this one's on Paul the Apostle. Oh, my clicker's not on, so sorry about that, guys. Uh, So Paul the Apostle, I'm giving him a definition, just like I did Nehemiah in the last one, the man of gritted teeth. This is a man of such deep determination. It doesn't matter what hits him, he keeps just getting back up. It's sort of like getting punched and getting knocked down, and then the guy gets right back up and says, do it again. And you punch him, he knocks him down, he gets right back up. It's like, what is that? That's Paul the Apostle. It's it's a quality that I want to sort of raise to the surface, almost like we're holding a diamond under uh, a bright light, to sort of see its uh, beauty and see its form. So I'm going to go through what I'm calling Paul's boast in 2 Corinthians, and it's a very unique list, but I just want you to see what this man did. He gets knocked down, he gets back up. Gets knocked down, gets back up. Gets knocked down, gets back up. up. 2 Corinthians 11, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. The Jews were prohibited from going over 40 lashes in a penalty according to the law, so as a result to avoid potentially breaking the law, they would do 39 lashes. And this completely opens up your back, and it wraps around even to your, your rib cage when you're lashed like this, so it literally turns your back into a pulp of flesh and blood. And if you go through that once, you're so close to death. 40 lashes is basically right at the point where someone is going to bleed to death. And so your, your back would just be, could you imagine it healing over, right? And so you just have scars, scar tissue just piled up. And then having this done five times. <laughs> I mean, this is like such an extreme statement that he's making here. So five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. 
once I was stoned. All it takes is once to be stoned, guys. That means you're killed. And here he is, and once I was stoned. It's like, oh, yeah, once I was crucified, too. It's like, it's like an extreme statement. Three times I suffered shipwreck. And night and a day I've been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by my own countrymen, in perils by the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brothers, in weariness and painfulness, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, and in cold and nakedness. Beside the external things, the care of all the churches pressures me daily. Whew. Okay, I don't know what you're going through in life, but what we're seeing is some picture here. I mean, I'm calling this message shipwrecked, just like I called the other one like building a wall. It is a attribute of a man's life where if you were going to summarize it, it's like, what, what does this man exemplify? Where Paul the apostle exemplifies a lot of things, okay? So you could say joy in the midst of difficulty, and that would be accurate. You could say love towards those that persecute, uh, yes, you could say all that. Persistence, perseverance, yes, this quality is sort of all of those wrapped up, and I'm going to call it grit. This is a quality of the soul that is dogged, determined, unyielding, will not give up, will not let go of the rope when it's pulling on it. It will not let go of that shovel if it's digging for the treasure. It will hold on. It will persevere. It will press on until it gets what it is after. And so this is a very precious quality in the kingdom of heaven, and one that is foreign to many of us, when we go through difficulty, we have a tendency to immediately let go and go, whoa. It's like you grab a hold of a hot iron, and what do you do? You let go of it. You don't keep holding on to it. And what you almost see is this spiritual quality that says, uh, Paul, you don't want to touch that. You don't want to touch that. That's hot. I'm going to touch it because this is the only way to get the glory of God in this generation. And, you, know, you see uh, the smoke coming out, and, he's, and they're like, let go of it, Paul. Let go. I cannot let go. And it's a quality that is so, uh, to call it superhuman would be the best, most accurate statement for it. It's like, who does that? Well, a Christian. So uh, to finish up uh, 2 Corinthians 11, who is weak and am I not weak? Who is led into sin and am I not distressed? If I must boast, I will boast of the things which concern my weakness. So C.T. Studd writes this amazing quote. I, I really uh, love this statement. Which of us is not stirred to scorn and amusement at the very idea of a soldier made of chocolate? In a time of peace and ease, true soldiers are like captive lions pacing back and forth and fretting in their cages. These genuine soldiers are built for fight. And it is war that gives these soldiers their liberty and sends them like boys bounding out of school to obtain their heart's desire or die in the attempt. Chocolate soldiers are an altogether different sort. They fear the fray and avoid it at all costs. They are artisans of excuses, conning themselves into feeling noble for their efforts to spare themselves any discomforts of manliness. So what you see in the book Chocolate Soldiers by C.T. Studd is he's creating a contrast between the true soldier and the chocolate soldier. See, at first you're like, chocolate, I love chocolate. But if you're made of chocolate, what happens when the heat turns up? You melt. And so what C.T. Studd goes into is the difference between that which melts in the time of fire and that which actually is refined, that which becomes more pure when the fire is turned up. And obviously, as Christians, we don't want to be the chocolate ones, even though I know many of us love chocolate. I, I start the campaign. Uh, I, I love chocolate. I just ordered a hot chocolate last night. And so I like chocolate. But I don't want to be made of chocolate. 
And in your spiritual life, you want to be made of something that when the fire turns up, it stands the test and, in fact, only gets more pure with the testing. What is the difference between the following? Goats and sheep. Tares and wheat. Sloths and ants. The five virgins without oil in their lamp and the five virgins with oil in their lamp. It's interesting because this is the, uh, the contrast that is made throughout Scripture. It's the twos. You know, as any of you that have heard me teach on the twos, you know that there's a first and there's a second. And we have twos in the New Testament. A lot of the parables are going to be twos. So we're getting this contrast. In Proverbs, you see the ant and the sloth. You see the wise man and the foolish. So what is the difference between these? So look at that. Goats and sheep. Uh, you have in the, in the story that Jesus gives in Matthew 25, 40, what he is basically saying is the goats didn't do anything, whereas you have the sheep that do something. So the difference is, seems to be the fruit that they bear. The goats end up doing nothing. When they see the naked, they see the hungry, they see the imprisoned, they do nothing. But the sheep do something. So there's this action that is applied. And then tares and wheat, it's interesting because they grow up looking similar, just like goats and uh, sheep sound similar. One says, and the other one says, and it's like, did they say the same thing? Well, technically, it's a little different, right? But they both have the sound. The same is true with the tares and wheat. They both look the same, but one bears fruit and the other doesn't. One does something. One doesn't. And then you see sloths and ants. Well, that's a pretty good illustration. One does something and one doesn't. The sloth doesn't do anything. It just sits there. Uh, I mean, literally, just hangs there all day long. It is painful for it to go down and use the restroom. It's just like a form of torment for it. It goes down to the bottom of the tree. It's like, oh, oh, and then it goes back up and sleeps. It is the most pathetic creature I could imagine. Of course, Abby, my, my daughter, loves sloths, and she prays that she would have a sloth. So... Uh, Someone, I told someone, I think I announced it in church one day, and someone gave her a stuffed animal sloth, and I'm like, there, God's answered your prayer. (laughs) So, the five virgins without and the five virgins with, what is the difference? Well, the five virgins with the oil went and got the oil. In other words, they have the container, both have the container that is perfectly designed to house oil, just like you. You are the perfect vessel that is designed to house the oil of the Holy Spirit. However, to be one who believes but isn't full of God, isn't cultivating that life within, isn't going to God to get all that he has, what a, what a waste of a life. That's a good container that is not being wielded properly. So there's a doing. There's an action to Christianity. There is something that must be done. So you see Paul, and what do you see? You see action. You see him reach out and grab the hot iron. It's like, you've got to be kidding. Is he actually doing that? You know what the early church really struggled with Paul the Apostle? Reaching out and grabbing the hot iron? They're like, you, you shouldn't do that. You see, they didn't understand the doctrine of what we know now as suffering. You see, they thought that, well, this has never been the way that we did it. God protects us as opposed to Jesus goes in and lays down his life and then finds life. And then Paul begins to realize there's a pattern here. And so when he's sharing the gospel, he's like, hey, I'm willing to lay down my life just like Christ did. And in so so doing, we're going to see life come forth. And if I hold on to my life, I lose it. But if I give up my life, then I gain it. See, it was a thought process that began to be cultivated in the early church, and Paul was a leading member of that campaign. So historic grit. 
you know, when I asked the question, who wants to be the next Paul? I was like, well, yeah, I'd like to be like Paul. Do we recognize what we are saying when we say that? Do we recognize what this man went through? The man had tremendous influence, but I want us to count the cost before we just say, yeah, I want to be like Paul. It's just like we, we just talked about Nehemiah. Nehemiah had it difficult. He was surrounded by enemy nations. I mean, Sanballat, Tobias, and Geshem the Arabian had, Arabian had it in for him, wanted him destroyed. And so do you really want to step forth, even though you have all the materials for building the wall, do you really want to step into that battle? Do you really know what you're getting yourself into when you stand for the glory of God in a generation? Do you recognize that when Paul starts carrying around the glory of Jesus Christ, when he starts campaigning for the truth of Jesus, that people would repent and believe in Jesus, well, what's going to happen to him? So I'm going to go through Paul's journeys. Okay, so we'll just do a cursory overview of Paul's journeys. It's very fascinating. Paul in Damascus, the Jews arranged to kill him. Paul in Jerusalem, they tried to kill him. Paul in Antioch, they tried to persecute him. Paul in Iconium, they tried to stone him. Paul in Lystra, they stoned him. Paul in Philippi, he was whipped and imprisoned. Paul in Thessalonica, they stirred the crowd against him. Paul in Berea, they again stirred up the crowds. Paul in Corinth, the Jews attacked Paul. Paul in Ephesus, they spoke evil of his teachings. Paul in Greece, they plotted against him. Paul in Jerusalem, they tried to kill him. Now let's just stop there. At some point, don't you think Paul's going to wake up and realize this is a bad idea? Every single place that he goes, he is facing persecution. Every single place he goes, they want to kill him, they want to harm him, they want to torture him, they want to imprison him. Paul, wake up, buddy. Get your hand away from that hot iron that's hot. It'll burn you. She says, I know. I understand. But I'm doing this not for my sake, but for the glory of Jesus Christ. Don't you realize that for the glory of God to be manifest in this generation, someone needs to stand up and be willing to suffer. And when we do, what happens as a result of all this? You, 2,000 years later, know the gospel. In other words, Paul's labors are being leveraged to actually pry you out of sin. You see, the gospel is reaching you. Why? Because men and women throughout history have been willing to suffer and die so that the truth would carry on. This is an incredible pattern. So they tried to kill him. So if you're in the story, if you're Paul, where are you at? Okay, we can go back to the very first one, Paul in Damascus. The Jews arranged to kill him, and many of us have already quit. We're like, whoa, I didn't know that that was going to happen. Paul is long gone, guys. He left us in the dust a long time ago. He's still going. So you're making, you notice that the book of Acts, is, it's getting you know, higher in the book of Acts. You know, Acts, you know, what, what did it start? Acts 9, Acts 9, Acts 13, 14, 14, 16. 17, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21 through 23. In other words, we're getting further and further in the book of Acts, and this guy just keeps going. Paul and Antipatris, they imprisoned him. Paul and Caesarea, they brought charges against him. Paul at sea, shipwrecked. Paul in Malta, bit by a viper. Paul in Rome, beheaded. It's like, Paul, you could have avoided all of this. He knew that he was going to suffer for Jesus Christ. You know that that's actually what he was told in the very beginning, that he was going to suffer. He needed to see all the things he needed to suffer for Jesus Christ. This is how he started. He knew it from the beginning. We struggle with it because of modern American Christianity. We don't see any need for suffering. So as a result, this quality inside of us is not built. 
It's called grit. You see, when you grow up as a, as a young boy in the, the Midwest, you know, when you're a farming uh, kid and you have hay bales from a young age you're throwing around, you build muscle. And so some of the best wrestlers in history have been uh, Iowa farm boys. Just because they grow up and their muscle is developed at such a deep level from a young age that they have immense strength for their size. And so as a result, they make extraordinary wrestlers because the key is you want to be as light as possible and yet have great strength. Well, so Iowa farm boys. You see, this is what it's supposed to be for us as Christians. Because we are Christians, we cultivate a very deep level of strength, an immense strength for our size. And as a result, we are able to wrestle at a level that most people find completely foreign. It's like, whoa, where do they come from? Well, it's through the school of suffering. You see, when you go through suffering, you develop a deep soul muscle. It's a deep strength that is able to go through that list that we just saw on the screen from Paul the Apostle. Because most of us are like, oh, I'm already fading. And we just started the whole thing. We got people plotting to kill us, and we're already you know, turning in our, you know, our, our, resignment, our resigning from the job position that we just signed up for. It's like, you've got to be kidding. I'm not doing that. And yet this is what we're signing up for. Didn't you count the cost before you came? Didn't you recognize you're picking up a cross? What did you think a cross was? And you're following him. You see, this is what comes with the territory. But when you face difficulties and afflictions, it makes you stronger for the next ones. And as a result, you're able to face affliction and difficulty with a smile. You can sing. You can be beaten and go away dancing. You can be falsely accused and leap for joy. It's what is this? This is a Christian with grit, soul strength. So now, I know we, we look at Paul and we're like, well, that's a special Christian. I've heard many people teach this over the years. That's a special Christian. <laughs> Whew, I'm glad we don't have to follow Paul. I mean, that, that's a special Christian. He was unique, unusual, one of a kind, one of a kind. Whew. Yeah, so, you know, it's, it's inspiring to hear his stories, but aren't you glad we don't need to live that way? So look at what Paul says in Philippians. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. <laughs> and the God of peace shall be with you. I really want the God of peace to be with me. What, what do I need to have the God of peace with me? <laughs> well, those things which you have both learned from Paul, received from Paul, heard from Paul, and seen demonstrated in Paul's life, do those things. He grabbed a hot iron. Yeah. Are, are, God, God, are you serious? You want me to follow that? Well, you're supposed to follow Jesus, aren't you? <laughs> Paul's just following Jesus. Same little lineage here. In other words, Jesus went, Paul followed, and he says, hey, guys, follow me as I follow Christ. What, what are we following, guys? Have you ever thought that through? What are we following? We're following these guys that go to execution that hang naked on crosses, that are beheaded, that are stoned. Whoa, uh, not attractive, is it? To your natural man, but to your spiritual man, you have to admit, the suffering of Jesus is exquisitely beautiful and powerful. The sufferings of Paul are literally the template of the glory of God. I mean, we're seeing something so powerful when a man filled with the Holy Spirit, with joy, heads into a prison cell and sings. What is that? So men of grit, I'll give you a, a little list of some Christian history, some grit for you. We'll lay it out there on the table. Peter was crucified upside down. 
Andrew was tied mercilessly to two beams of wood and left to hang to death for three days. So you're going to get this, by the way, if you're saying, where is this in the Bible? This is in Christian history. So this would be like Fox's Book of Martyrs. Paul was beheaded. Stephen was stoned. Philip was crucified. Matthew was slain with the sword. James, the brother of Jesus, was stoned and clubbed. Matthias was stoned and beheaded. Mark was dragged to pieces. Jude was crucified. Bartholomew was cruelly beaten and then crucified. Thomas was thrust through with a spear. Luke was hung. And John was thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil and removed unscathed. And in the next aisle, the Patmos. There's your apostles right there. So those that followed Jesus, do you understand why I'm saying this is a pattern? This isn't just an irregularity that Paul went through difficulty. This is like densely fitted to the Christian experience. This is like part of it. However, we live in a culture which shoes this away. Oh, I don't want Christianity on those terms. And yet this is the narrow way of the cross. It is a cross. I just want to remind you of that, that we are being asked to pick up. It's a cross, splintery. So I'm going to, and I've used this illustration with students in the past, but it's been very significant for me to evaluate because imagine that this angelic creature comes in. I mean, it'd be a pretty amazing moment, you know, whether it's just an angel. We don't really know what an angel looks like, but if an angel can be mixed up with a human, do they look like humans? Those are good questions. It doesn't actually say that angels have wings. We know that cherubim and seraphim have wings, but we don't know. So it's an angelic creature is all I'm saying. And he comes up, and we, we have the idea that this is an angelic creature. We're all just in stunned awe. And uh, he has a clipboard with him, and he says, men and women of God, I've been told that uh, there are some amongst your ranks that are ready to give your all for Jesus Christ. We live in desperate times, and the church is needing men and women to rise up and to live in such a way that the glory of God would be once again seen on this earth. I've been searching throughout this earth for those that would be ready. I've been told that I could find them here. I am looking to fill this clipboard. I have certain job descriptions that I need filled in this generation. I am going to set this clipboard in the back, and in two minutes, I am going to carry it out of this building. If in those two minutes you are interested, please sign your name to it. Otherwise, I will go elsewhere and find those that will fit the bill. I mean, what we are given is like the ultimate opportunity. This angel from heaven comes and he says, look, I'm recruiting for the front lines of the kingdom of heaven. Isn't this what we want? Isn't this what you've been praying for? Here you are in your prayer time, God, use me. And then the angel comes in and says, yeah, I heard that prayer. <laughs> and we're like, well, what's on the clipboard? Uh, see, why, why are we asking that question? Why does it matter what's on the clipboard? There's, there's some job descriptions on there. But why does it matter what's on the clipboard? Wouldn't, you just, wouldn't it satisfy you just to know it's a God job? And God has assigned it to you, and he wants you. He's, he's picked you. Now, you could forsake it and say, I don't, I don't want to do it. You could. But why would you do that? This is like the ultimate privilege to do the work of the king in this earth, to represent his name. All right, so I'm going to give you a peek at the clipboard. And then I, I just want you to evaluate where you're at in your readiness to sign up. So this is what the angel is looking for out of our troops here in Windsor, Colorado. He needs one to be crucified upside down, 
He needs one to be tied mercilessly to two beams of wood and left to hang to death for three days. He needs one of us to be beheaded, one stoned, one, another crucified. One of us needs to be slain with a sword. Oh, one stoned and then clubbed. One stoned and beheaded. One stoned and beheaded. I think that's the same one. One dragged to pieces. Yet another crucified. One cruelly beaten and then crucified. One thrust through with a spear. One hung. Oh, and we need one of you to be thrown into a cauldron of boiling oil. It doesn't say anything about us being removed unscathed. Okay, so you just got the list. This was the initial list, you know, that the apostles basically are signing up for when they're picking up their cross and following Jesus. So, the fact that we're 2,000 years removed from this, do you think it changes the nature of the battle we're in or the nature of the kingdom of heaven intersecting this world of darkness? Does it, does it change it? Should we have different expectations? I mean, there's a lot of teachers out there and a lot of books saying, oh, God's whole design for you is comfort and happiness and wealth and riches. And yet you study the terrain of Scripture and you study the terrain of Christian history and you don't see that. It doesn't mean you see miserable people. You see the most supremely happy people. And yet they're oftentimes people that go through extreme difficulty and challenge, thrown into prisons, are killed for their faith. I mean, we could travel the world right now. We could have a little tour bus that flies and we could go over to Eastern uh, or to the Middle East and we could see how Christians are handled in the Middle East right now. We could go to China and we could give some interview time with some of the house church or just go and visit Christian pastors in prison. And we could say, so what's it been like? And we would get a flavoring of what Christian history has always been. And so if this angelic creature comes to us and gives us this clipboard, I want you to immediately start a clock ticking and see how long it takes you to get up and sign this clipboard. Is there hesitation? You see, a Christian, Christians throughout history have leaped to such opportunities and run back and you know, knocked other people out of the way so they could get to that clipboard to pick the most difficult one on the list, which I don't know what that would be. But being thrown into a pot of boiling oil has to rank up near the top. <laughs> the fact that John the Apostle, true story, John the Apostle is thrown into a vat of boiling oil and they pull him out and he doesn't even have a singed hair on him. They don't know what to do with this guy, so they exile him to Patmos. See, that's how he ended up at Patmos. He's like, what do we do with him? We have to get him out of circulation. He's, he's, he's like disseminating this, this idea of Jesus Christ, this, this gospel. Let's get him out of the world somehow, so they exile him. I mean, what, a, what a story. But there's no guarantee that your hair won't be singed or that you won't boil uh, in that oil. In other words, our job description isn't to define the ending because God could do something supernatural. You could be crucified and the nails you know, spurt out of your hand and you fly away. You know, that could happen. But you also need to be willing to humble yourself just as Jesus did and say, yes, Lord, my body is yours. What you desire to do with it, I say yes. And if this will bring about your purposes in this earth, then my answer is yes. I remember the Cambridge 7 where C.T. Studd was one of them. Hudson Taylor had come back to England and had given some rousing uh, messages about missions, and, it, and he recruited all these different people. But there were seven very strong men that rose up and said, I want to go with, with you to China. 
And so they, they come out to China, and this is such a vigorous group of missionaries. And he was sitting down with all of these seven, and he said, look, I have a, I have a very difficult spot in China that needs to be reached. I'm coming to you guys with this opportunity. It's very likely that you will not return alive. Who would want to go? Without hesitation, all seven, in total concert, raised their hand without pause. And I remember that convicted me so deeply <laughs> because I'm still reading the paragraph over going, oh no, oh, what am I doing? And they just all shoot up their hand. I'm like, hey, I'm a, uh, you know, some of us shoot up our, our hand because everyone else is shooting up, our, up their hand. But I want to be one who's willing to shoot up my hand even if no one does. I don't want to wait for someone else around me. I don't want to be the only one in the room not lifting my hand. So we do. That's how they motivate people in the military, by the way. <laughs> you have bold ones that raise their hand. You don't want to be the one guy. So it's like, yeah, I'll do it too. I, you have an opportunity here. So the clock starts ticking. How quick are you going to say yes to the Lord? You've been given an opportunity. You've been given a commission. Do you understand that he will give you grace for it? Whatever he's called you to, he will supply the grace. You see, what you have is what I'm going to call a grace gap. You have the difference between human ability and God's high calling that you're experiencing right now. In other words, I give the clipboard and you feel insufficient. Is that abnormal? No, nope, that's very normal. In fact, you're not the only one in the room that's feeling like, ah, this is actually the way it works. You see, when you reason in what you have in your own human ability and you look at that clipboard, you will cower because that's what we as humans do. And so there's a behavior that you know you're supposed to have, and there's a difference. Whatever the difference is between that behavior and where you're at is called the grace gap, or that's what I'm calling it. You need grace. You need power to do. You need power to overcome fear, to overcome anxiety, to overcome your cowardice. Do you, are you going to dig in your own pockets to derive that? Do you have it in your own pockets, that which you need to be able to sign that clipboard? No. But do you have it? Yes. How do you have it? You have it by faith in his word. You have it by faith in Jesus Christ. You have it in Christ. You actually have everything you need. Remember the statement in Ephesians 6, be strong in the Lord. It doesn't say be strong in your own grit and determination. Be strong in the Lord. It's his grit, guys. It's not yours. We're trying to drum up grit in ourselves when in actuality it's his grit, his doggedness, his fight, his strength, his power that you need to rely on. Don't look to your own pockets when I set that clipboard down. You need to look to his pockets. Does he have it for you? Yes, is your simple answer. And you immediately rise up and you say, okay, let's do this thing. He gives me the grace to obey. Grabbing a hold of the banister. So if you go back in time in my life, I didn't understand how to get the grace. Didn't even understand the concept of grace. I, I had a misunderstanding of the idea of grace. So I'm upstairs in a house. This is a key moment in my life, a key evening in my life. Night, I should say. There is some form of temptation downstairs in the middle of the night. And so I come out like the zombie. Uh, you know, uh, Sin had always had sort of that ability to get me 
even though I didn't want it to. You ever have that where you're like, I'm not going to do that again, and then you do it again. I'm not going to do it again. God, I'm so sorry. Then, then you do it again. Oh, it's a miserable cycle, okay? And so I didn't understand how to get the grace, to get that grace gap. In other words, I know how I'm supposed to be behaving, but I'm unable to in my own ability. That's Romans 7. Paul's saying, who can save me from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There's grace that has been given. So I remember I came to the top of the stairs, and I didn't want to go down. Isn't it funny? You don't want to sin, but you do? What, what is this? It's this weird psychosis, this weird uh, thing going on inside of your life where there's two things speaking. Yeah, it's called flesh and spirit. You actually want the things of heaven, but the flesh has the upper hand because you've let it have the upper hand. Because you don't know the legal workings of the cross, and you have not grabbed a hold by faith to Jesus Christ. So here's what happens. I grab a hold of the banister, staring down into the darkness down there. I don't want to go. Jesus, I know you're not just calling me to live a, a stronger, higher life and then not giving me what I need to do it. I am going to stand here and grip this banister until I find out what it is that you have to give me. And I would not let go of that banister. And I don't know how long I was there, but it could have been like an hour. I was standing at the top of the stairs awkwardly in the middle of the night, grabbing a banister. And guess what? I didn't go down, and I went back to bed that night. It was like this breakthrough night. I didn't know to call it grace, but God gave me strength when I came to him. In other words, you are not the enemy's plaything. You are not to be ruled by fear and cowardice. You have been given grace so that you can function in a way that you don't just esteem, but that Christ desires to live through you. This is Christianity. Christianity is not based on what you find right now in your own pockets. Because if you dig into your own pockets, yeah, you're going to be lacking for this great Pauline adventure. You ready to live out the book of Acts right alongside of Paul? Yeah. Jesus is in you. You see, the secret to Christianity isn't you looking to your own strength. You know that Paul, even the word means small. The guy was a little dwarfish character. He was small. And supposedly in Christian history, he's bald with a big Jewish nose. And he's a teeny little guy. That's what Paul means. Diminutive. Tiny. Teeny-weeny. Teeny-weeny Paul. This is not a grand, muscular character, and yet what he lives out is grand and muscular. Don't you think it's on purpose that God chooses a weak vessel through which to reveal his strength? I think so. So if you feel like a weak vessel today, hey, you're the perfect stage for God's strength to be demonstrated. So here's the question to Eric. Eric, how about that clipboard? I have to deal with the same thing you guys do. Okay, I can speak up here and sound noble and brave. I have to deal with the same thing. And you know what goes into my mind too? I have a wife and kids. Well, I don't, I don't want to leave my students. Uh, you know, see, we have our different reasons that can get muddled in there as well. And yet, for my wife and my kids and for my students, you need to see me respond. Isn't that interesting? It's like it's actually the best gift of love I can give is to behave as Paul, is to behave as Jesus and not cower. That actually doesn't help my family. It helps my family for me to stand up for the glory of Jesus, even though it creates pain and difficulty. So Eric, are you willing? Yes, I am.
So I've gone over this many, many times, guys. I remember back when I was 20 or so, maybe 21, I remember having the clear thought that I'm very likely going to die a martyr. Okay, that was young. I'm 48 now. Okay, so I've grown up with that thought that I know what I'm doing. I know the decisions I'm making, and I know the cost that comes with it. Does that mean it's easy for me? No. I still have this human side that has a quavering voice and knocking knees. But that's where the grace gap is filled. If Eric learns to walk in Christ, that grace gap is filled. By the way, it doesn't need to be extremes. Like right now, I'm giving you some pretty extreme things like pain and death, right? Which is good. You have to know that it applies all the way through, but it also applies to small little things like boldly coming up to someone and sharing the gospel. By the way, there's still a grace gap in that because you look in your own pockets like, oh, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not that kind of person. No, that, I, I, well, hey, don't measure it based on you. Measure it based on Christ. If he wants to share through you, are you willing to be the stage upon which he performs? The key is don't measure your capacity based on your natural strength. Base it on his ability. It's faith that you live by. So, Eric, are you willing? Yes. Hey, you. That's you. Are you willing? See, this isn't, I'm not giving this just for me, even though it's a good exercise for my soul. I'm giving it for us. And as a church, we need to wrestle with the fact of, are we willing? How seriously do we take our Christianity? Are we taking it only to the point where it keeps us comfortable and, you know, puts us on good terms with our church body and our family and friends that are Christians? Or are we willing to do this for Jesus even if no one follows? Key, key questions for us. So grit, by definition, courage, bravery, pluck, metal, backbone, spirit, strength of character, strength of will, moral fiber, steel, nerve, fortitude, toughness, hardiness, resolve, resolution, determination, tenacity, perseverance, endurance. Well, obviously, it's a pretty uh, full word. Listen to this uh, Charles Spurgeon quote. Pray God to send a few men with what the Americans call grit in them. Men who, when they know a thing to be right, will not turn away or aside or stop. Men who will persevere all the more because there are difficulties to meet or foes to encounter. Who stand all the more true to their master because they are opposed. Who, the more they are thrust into the fire, the hotter they become. Who, just like the bow, the further the string is drawn, the more powerfully it sends forth its arrows. And so the more they are trodden upon, the more mighty will they become in the cause of truth against error. Whew. That's a good quote, guys. That's a great quote. So, Paul the Apostle. Yep, he's a hero of the faith. And yet, the benefit of his life is not just to look back and muse and be entertained by some man's life, but to, see the thing, to listen to the things he spoke and taught, to observe the things he did and performed, and then to follow. As he resembled Christ, we want to follow him. He has demonstrated what God can do in a man. And that's a profound picture to us throughout Christian history. And guess what? God intends to use your life in the same way. Where this world can look at you and say, so that's what God can do when he dwells inside of a man or a woman. So that's what it looks like when a hand enters a glove. 
So I was wondering what a glove was good for, but now, once that hand came into it, it actually all is coming together. It makes sense. It's made in the image of that hand, and when that hand enters inside of it, look at what the glove can do. It can actually do what the hand does. And that's the great mystery of godliness. This is the way that we are called to live. Don't dig in your own pockets when the angelic clipboard is set before you. Go into the throne of grace boldly and ask for grace for help in time of need. This is what you need. Grab a hold of the banister. Grab a hold of God. Father, this is a work that we need you to deepen inside of us. I don't want us just to esteem these words. I want us to activate them in our life. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We are not to be strong in ourselves and in the power of ourselves. We're supposed to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So, Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to live in that armor, to live holding that sword and that shield, to live with that pluck, that backbone, that metal of soul, that grit. Lord, may that same spirit that lived in Paul the Apostle dwell in us. We love you, Lord Jesus. This is for you and unto you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.